youngest son, the youngest of eight. I just like to say that so you'll realize I'm insane on a level. He comes downstairs, and if you know Cayman, you know he's a, what's the word, a bundle of energy. He's a busy guy. He comes downstairs and says, Dad, there's two of me. <laughs> Christy passed out on the floor. <laughs> oh, no. And um, I was thinking about taking up some bad habits. But anyway, not going to do that. So today we're back in Romans 8, and we're talking about an unshakable faith and what makes it unshakable. And our, Of course, my goal and my desire is that you have a faith that's deeply rooted, and I believe that's what an ordinary faith is, a faith that's rooted in something that, that hangs on and, 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 and sustains and sustains you. And so um, we're, we're in Romans 8, and we've talked about how that we have a new life to live now, a way that walks in the Spirit rather than the flesh, and how we lean and trust the Holy Spirit, not just our own way. And then last week we talked about our inheritance and how that God has promised us uh, some things and some power in this life and that everything that's Christ becomes ours, but also part of that is the thing of suffering. And so then today we're going to dig into that suffering side of it a little bit as to how we got here and then what we have to look forward to. And so that's kind of the, the first three messages in the series that we're talking about. And so today we're talking a little bit about something called patience. Anybody ever prayed for patience? Just nod. You ever? And I always tell people, because people tell me, I'm never praying for patience. And I say, don't worry, God's got that. <laughs> You'll have patience. <laughs> it will come. So anyway, there was a lady, she was, following this, she was in a grocery store, and she heard this father with his little baby in the shopping cart, and he was trying to pick up groceries for the family, and the baby's just wailing. Some of you guys have been there, upset baby, got to get groceries, like to leave, can't, wailing baby, and the dad's just going, shh, it's okay, Richard, it's okay, Richard, just stay calm, wailing, wailing, all through the store, it's okay, Richard, just stay calm, it'll be all right. This lady's just, she's so proud of him, she walks up and says, I just want to commend you, you're just such a patient patient father and he goes she goes she goes goes, the way you're calming down Richard and she goes well he goes I'm Richard (laughs) and uh, so I think most of us men know all about that kind of idea so today we're going to talk about why later's better than now and uh, we've already recapped the week and thought about it so we're going to jump right into Romans chapter 8 we're going to look at Romans 8 18 through 27 is our background text if you like to know that okay So Romans 8 verse 20 says this, Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. So we need to take a minute and consider how we got here. And so I want to challenge some ideas that are very popular in our culture. Some ideas like that everyone's basically good. And then if we could just all work together and be nice to each other and just be kind, everything would be okay. And I'm here to tell you, based on what God says in his word, that will not happen. We're never going to work together. We're never just, you know, you've seen the meme runs across your Facebook feed. Of all the things you can be life, be in life, be kind. <laughs> That'd be great if we weren't a world full of jerks, okay? I mean, I'm not trying to insult you. I'm just saying, eh, together we kind of do things our own way. And so there's, um, in the beginning, 
You know, we like to blame God for stuff. You know, there's a proverb that says we ruin our lives with foolishness and then blame God for it, you know. And we, we like to blame God for everything that's wrong in the world. Why is there disease? Why are there disasters? All these kinds of things. And I just want you to know, that wasn't God's idea. God didn't do that, okay? That was actually our choice. When God created it, everything was perfect, man. There, there were no conservatives, liberals, Trumpers, anti-Trumpers, Packers fans. I'm just kidding. I was just hoping. Sports fans. Anyway, so that one did not go over at all. They're, they're mad. They're mad. They're going to tear down some stadiums. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what happened was in the Garden of Eden, God created it perfect, and Adam and Eve made a choice to disobey God. They made a choice to do things their own way. And sometimes that's how we define sin. We talk about sin as something that when we choose to do things our way. But I'm here to tell you, that is probably the most shallow definition of sin I could give you, okay? Yes, we choose to do our own way, but when we say it like that, we're kind of saying, well, you know, God had an option, and I just thought my option was better. No, no, no. It, it was not that calm, cool, or collected. This was like a mean, nasty fight with your wife, okay? This was Adam saying, I will do what I want, and I will take charge of this planet, okay? And in doing so, he gave the keys of the kingdom to Satan himself. And so when you think of sin, stop thinking of sin. Yes, it is mistakes. We can make it that, and we can say that, and that's okay in a sense. But stop thinking that's all it is. Sin is rebellion. Outright. I don't care what God says. I do my own thing. That's what sin is. There's nothing innocent about it. God sent his son here, and we killed him. So stop thinking it's a calm, bloodless thing. It's not, okay? You with me? Well, that was depressing. I didn't even want to hear that. So because Adam made a choice to do his own thing, God cursed some things. He First, he cursed Satan. And we'll come back to that curse in a, in a minute because God, there's a promise in that one. In Genesis 3.15, he tells the snake he's going to crawl on his belly from then on. Then he judged Eve. And ladies, when you have children, the reason it hurts is because of sin, okay? The the, the Pain and childbirth came from the curse. And finally, God judged Adam. And when he judged Adam, he judged all of creation. And that is the curse that Paul is alluding to in Romans chapter 8. So let's just read it, Genesis 17 through 19. To the man, Adam, he said, since you listened to your wife, guys, don't take that out of context. Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. <clears throat> By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you are made from the dust, and to the dust you will return. So because of Adam's sin, that's why I have to go to, you have to go to work in the morning. You can get mad at Adam over that. That's why there are weeds. Anybody else have an amazing crop of dandelions this year? Because I am knocking it out of the park. If there was a price on those, I would be making some money. Let's look at Paul's, Paul kind of though breaks it down. He gives some commentary on the fall in Romans 8, 20, and he says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning 
as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. This is why the world's messed up. This is why things don't go the way you want. This is why your garden grows weeds, okay? Because it's all under God's curse. Why is it under God's curse? You don't live in the world God wanted for you. Do you understand that? God didn't want a world of disease, sickness, and death. So stop blaming God for those things. That wasn't his design, okay? His design was eternity and perfection and a continual relationship with God. Adam chose the pain and the turmoil. He made the choice for it. You say, well, how could he have known all that? God told him, the day you eat that fruit's the day you die. You say, well, it took another hundreds of years for Adam to die. No, he died right then. Just like a limb cut off your tree is green for a few days and it lays in the yard until it wilts in the sun. So Adam was separated from God. It took a long time for the life of God to drain out of him, but it did. And we all experience death because of that sin. Creation is frustrated by this. The Bible says creation is groaning. Creation did not want to be broken. Against its will, creation was cursed. It's not something that it wanted. So that's why the world's like it is. It's not like it's supposed to be. Can you remember that? It's not like it's supposed to be. This wasn't God's plan. And that's why the world is filled with evil, with injustice, relational problems, disappointment. All these things are the result of sin. So the next time you make a sin joke, or you make it small or minimal in your eyes, remember, sin ruined the place. And it's why people die. So stop playing with it. Stop acting like it's not a big deal. It ruins everything. It ruins everything. Amen? Amen. All right. There were some old me's. I heard them under your breath, okay? But there's good news. There's good news because there's God. There's no, Adam didn't bring any good news. Adam wrecked everything. But man never brings the good news unless he brings God's news. The good news is creation's never been without hope. That even from the beginning, when God cursed it all, there was still hope, eager hope embedded in everything that happened. And so creation, we see it now. We see that when it, it's, it's eagerly waiting and wanting and hoping for God to return things. So the Bible says in Genesis 3.15, this is a passage that's a redemptive passage. Right in the fall, embedded in the curse, is the promise of hope. Genesis 3.15, I will cause... God speaking to Satan. I will cause hostility, war between you and the woman. The woman, not Adam. Between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This was the very first promise that Jesus was coming. And it's embedded in the curse that came. I think that's awesome. That's creation being cursed against its will and hearing the echo of the hope of Father God that things were eventually and ultimately going to be made right. So in the curse, there is hope that Satan, that sin, that death, that disease, that everything broken would be made right. That's been God's plan ever since we wrecked it. He didn't wreck it. We wrecked it. 
So that's, that's where we get into this wonderful thing called the gospel. God's redemptive plan because right there from Adam, he begins loving mankind even though they hated him, even though they rebelled against him violently and they would continue to rebel against him violently, starting with the murder of Abel by Cain and then moving on through time and God keeps showing up and loving people and, and even judging people as an act of love. And you're saying, well, how is judgment an act of love? When evil people harm innocent people, it's an act of love to destroy evil people. From God's perspective, I don't destroy evil people unless they get in my yard. I'm just kidding about that. God showed up for Noah, judged the world, but saved mankind. He showed up for Abraham, showed up for Isaac, showed up for Joseph showed up for Moses, gave us the law, showed up for David, showed up for the prophets. All throughout the Old Testament, that part of the Bible that's like five times longer than the New Testament and it scares you to death because you think God is so mean and you never take into account the simple fact that God keeps showing up no matter what. He keeps showing up no matter how bad they treat him, no matter how much they rebel against him, no matter how much they disobey, disobey him. What does God do? He just keeps showing up and showing up and showing up up just like he does for you man yeah. so Israel looked forward to this king that was coming that was promised in Genesis 3:15, and the idea of him began to take shape throughout Moses life and throughout the prophets this king who would rule this king and savior who would set them free centuries of hope centuries of God showing up, centuries of God saying through his prophets, I'm coming. And he said through Isaiah, Emmanuel was coming, which is God with us. Not God over us, but God with us. And they had no idea what it meant. So Jesus came. And they were expecting a king to reign. They were expecting God to show up, set everybody free, and everyone would twa-la-la-la, out into the yellow brick road or something like that and be happy forever. But that's not what happened. God showed up and loved us and taught us and was patient with us, and his name was Jesus Christ, God with us. And when he came, <clears throat> we killed him. And you got to stop saying, well, they killed him. That was 2,000 years ago. The Jews killed him. The Romans killed him. I'm an American. I didn't kill him. No. we got to own many things as a people. And one of those we have to own is that we killed God's son. But that didn't fit everybody's idea of what Jesus was going to do. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Their idea of forgiveness of sin was wrapped up in the blood of sheep and goats. And even though the blood of sheep and goats could never actually redeem sin, it could never pay for sin. It was a picture of what it would take to pay for sin, but they never quite understood that. Most of them didn't. And so when Jesus came and died on a cross, that did not fit the idea of who Jesus was. And, and even though you're sitting there going, well, why didn't they figure it out? Why don't we figure it out? Because often Jesus doesn't fit our idea either. The idea of the gospel being a bloody thing is pretty much repulsive to most. 
but it is. God had to come, God had to die, so Jesus Christ died on the cross, hope was crucified, the hope for the world was dead, and we did it. But one thing I love about Jesus, he said, I lay down my life, and he said, I take it again. And so the Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Man, they didn't see that coming. They didn't see that coming. They knew they were in trouble. They knew they were sin. They thought they could live their way out of it. They thought they could make enough rules and they could live it just right and they could somehow escape the penalty for sin, which was death. But that couldn't happen. Someone had to pay the debt. Jesus Christ came, died on a cross, laid in a tomb, three days later rose again and became our living hope. And you are alive today and have a faith and a hope because Jesus Christ died for it. You've been given a living hope, a living word of God. In fact, the only thing living on this planet is faith in Jesus Christ. Everything else is passing away. So, if you're a Christian today, you've picked up on that, you figured it out. One day, God opened your eyes and you realized, my way is no good. My way is no good. Only, only Christ is enough. And if you're still working on that journey, eventually you've got to get to a place where you realize, my way is no good. That sin isn't just mistakes. Sin isn't just uh, some dumb things I've done. It's outright rebellion against the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's why the wages is in his death. It's pretty serious. But it's good because Jesus, from the beginning, had a plan to beat the worst thing in the world, which is sin. So, <clears throat> The world's broken. We did it. God sent Jesus to fix it. You with me so far? That's how we got here. This is important because as long as we keep making excuses for how we got here, we're never going to deal with the real problem. This world's never going to fix itself outside of Jesus Christ. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart and I believe it from the bottom of my soul. There'll never be enough laws passed in Congress to make this a a righteous country. It's not going to happen. I don't care who you roll your, your faith on, no one living on this earth right now is worthy of it. Only Christ. Jesus is all that matters. You believe that? Okay, now if you're still struggling with that, you're like, I don't know, that's a little bit too much for me. Bear with me. Okay, think about this. There's more going on than meets the eye. Oh, back to Romans 8.23. And we believers also groan. You guys ever groan? Let's practice a groan right now. Let's see how well we can groan. And what's a groan sound? Something like, oh, I know you men can do it. <laughs> Take out the trash. Oh, all right. We believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. I have that underlined on the screen. I'm going to come back to it, okay? For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Amen. That's why we're groaning. I want out of this mess, okay? We too wait with eager hope, eager hope, for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised. Amen. I would like a new body. This one's hurting. We were given this hope when we were saved. 
Man, we have hope of future glory. Yes, the world is broken. Yes, there are things wrong. They're not going to get fixed outside of Jesus Christ. They're just not. Okay? I'm not saying we shouldn't try to do things and help people and, and do what we can to make the world the best place we can. I'm just saying outside of Christ, there isn't an answer. And the best answer is people filled with Christ. But you, being filled with Christ, you Christ followers, you have a hope. You have a hope of future glory. And just like creation groans for the day when God makes everything right, that's the groan that's in you right now. I hear it all the time. It usually sounds like complaining <laughs> and, and fussing and, and fidgeting. It sounds like uh, we, the world's all messed up, and, and we're like, we don't know what to do with it, and so we groan. Because our heart knows, our heart knows that it's not right, and God's the only one who can make it right. And so we groan, and so the Bible tells us there's this taste we get, this foretaste. Some translations, and I think it would be a better translation, the ESV translates it as first fruits rather than the word foretaste. What's the difference? The first fruits were the first of a crop produced, given to God in, in tithe or, or sacrifice or those kind of things. And so when God gave us the Holy Spirit, when God gave us himself to live inside of us, he gave us the first fruits of our faith. What that means is, guys, as we, we go through this today and we look at the foretaste of glory that we talk about all the time, what I want you to realize is it's not just a foretaste, it's a first fruit, which means that in this life, there's a lot more that can be had than just that kind of faith that meanders along and hopes things get better and can't wait for it to end or Christ to come back. But I do want to talk positively about that eager anticipation so god put this hope in us a hope of future glory and here we are having it in a world where battle is going on where there are people struggling in a land where there's addiction and and there's abuse and all these things and we're learning in this this landscape that's brutal truly brutal we're learning to trust god we're learning to walk by faith and, and not by sight. We're learning to live in the actual victory that we possess over sin. We're learning these things in this landscape, and there are some days, if you're like me, you're like totally sick of it. You're like, I just want out. But we have hope within us. And so that Holy Spirit in us is that stirs that hope up, that hope that everything's going to be made right. The hope that things are going to be new. The hope that one day we're going to get like new bodies. And they'll hopefully be shaped differently than the ones we're wearing right now. Hope where everything's going to be perfect. Hope of a new heaven. Better fishing and hunting. Just kidding. The Spirit is God's guarantee. The Spirit is God's guarantee. I'm going to read it one more time. The Spirit is God's guarantee. Why did I read it three times? The average believer I talk to is not certain whether they even have the Spirit. And that's a problem. Because the Spirit is God's guarantee. It's how you know that you know that you know that heaven is yours, Christ is yours, and it's in you, the Holy Spirit, and that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would go out and live our own lives and ignore him forever. 
Oh, no, I'm sorry, wrong phrase. He did this so we would praise and glorify God. Not me, not you, but your Father, God. Man, that's why he did this. Put the Holy Spirit in us, and the Holy Spirit is evidence. So if I I just created you some indigestion, I meant to. Because I I care. (laughs) And I want you to know, we need to be connected and aware and knowing that the Holy Spirit's in us. Paul, Paul said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Be filled with it. And so that's something that God promised us. So we're waiting right now. We're in this phase where we are hungering and we're hoping. I hope that's where you are. You should be. As a believer, man, you should have a hunger for better, like more and perfect, and your Father to show up in things. But a lot of times we find ourselves waiting. So now we come back to the patience idea. And we love waiting, right? Amen? All the, all the husbands in the room waiting on their wives to get to the car, driving out the driveway with their foot still hanging out the door because you're in a hurry. <laughs> hard to be patient when life is tough, when we don't understand things. It's really hard when the unthinkable happens and, and, and things that come into our life that we really hate and don't want to be there, when tragedy strikes It's hard to have hope. It's hard to wait on God. How am I supposed to persevere? Isn't that the word they teach us, man? How am I supposed to persevere? Hang on, be patient when my life is absolutely falling apart. And so Paul says, but we look forward to something we don't yet have. God gave you the Holy Spirit, and that's good, and it's way better than the life you're living, I promise you. Walking in the Holy Spirit is always more. But you're not going to get it all until the other side of your tombstone, okay? We look forward to something we don't yet have. We must wait, oh, it's our favorite word, patiently and confidently. How do you do patience and confidence? And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. You ever been there? I was doing that this morning. I was sitting there praying, Lord, I, I... Sometimes my prayer is this, Lord, I need you, and I really don't even know how I need you. you know, in fact, I think I heard Justin pray that this morning. Just, Lord, I know I need you, but I'm not even sure how, what I need. And as I was praying for this message this morning, I'm like, God, I'm not sure what you want to do today. I hope it's fun. I like it when it's fun. A lot better when it's not fun. Sometimes we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but listen to this. But the Holy Spirit... I'm sorry, I'm going to throw this in for free. If you are leaving the Holy Spirit out of your life, you are, in, you are ignoring God's Word. You cannot read the New Testament without the Holy Spirit in it, okay? But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. You ever prayed like that? It just Sometimes it's a season of grief, and your heart just hurts, and you know the Father's listening, And you know the Holy Spirit's praying, but all you can do is sit there and hurt. Those groanings, for the Father who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit's saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Man, that's a good word. It's a great verse. Patience is powerful. Waiting is not doing nothing. I should throw that out. Waiting on God, being patient, is not doing nothing. 
okay? It's some of the hardest work ever, waiting on God to show up, to reveal. But it's those who wait on the Lord who renew their strength. Isn't that what Isaiah said? It's those who learn to wait on God. We're Americans. We don't wait well. I'm a man. I do not idle well at all. You leave me alone with nothing to do, something's going to get broken. <laughs> right? Is your husband that way? He's going to work on it till it's broke so he can fix it? That's me. So waiting is not doing nothing. But sitting around waiting, and, or not sitting around, but, but going through life waiting on God, being patient on God, but to do that with confidence? Because that's what Paul says, patience and confidence. How do you have confidence in stuff you don't even, you don't even know how God's going to answer yet? Well, here's how you do it. You remember that God's track record is really good. Yeah. He comes through. He always comes through. Doesn't always come through on your calendar, time scale, watch. Doesn't always work that way. I used to have a friend who used to tell me, we were in Colorado, we were playing a church, Stan Feller. I was frustrated because I get frustrated pretty easily because I'm not very patient by nature. And I was telling the man, I just, <clears throat> I don't know what we're going to do. We were up against this thing. And he said, you know, here's what happens. Sometimes God lets you get all the way to the end of your rope. And said, yeah, I'm there. I'm like banging the end of my rope. He says, and then he wants you to let go. I'm like, thanks, Stan. Go back to where you came from. <laughs> I am hanging on, dude. Isn't that what we're doing a lot of times? I'm just hanging on. And sometimes God just saying, let go. As soon as you let go, we got this, you know? <laughs> Remember the time I, I thought I was falling off a roof? <laughs> And I was afraid to let go. There was no one around. Finally, I said, well, whatever happens, happens. And I let go, and I only dropped like two inches. <laughs> so anyway, God made some promises to us, guys. And God, all the promises of God, all the promises of God, according to Corinthians, are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. All the promises. And God's got your life set up, bounded by, shielded over, covered and protected by these amazing promises. And that's our hope, the promises of God. One of the, the greatest hopes, I mean, yeah, I, I want to be free from sin. I want to be free from suffering. I want a new body because I want to do that eternity thing. and It'd be awesome. But what I really want to do is I want to see my father. Amen. I want to see dad. Man, I tell you what, I, I don't know what I don't know what heaven's going to be like. Nobody does. People up there, they, they paint all these images in people's heads about camping trips and fishing trips and football games. I, I don't, I, none of that's in the Bible I read. I must have the wrong translation. But my Bible says that Jesus is there, that my Father's there. We have this little dog at home. His name is Stewie, and he has the worst breath of any animal ever, but that's a different, different illustration. All Stewie knows when he hears our voice, particularly my wife's, because she feeds him a lot, he wants into that room that she's in, even if he doesn't know what the room is. He hears our voice, and it doesn't matter what's between here and there, he wants where she is. I don't know what heaven's like. I don't know what's on the other side of the door of death. All I know is, for a fact, Jesus said, if a man believes in me, never see death. I love that verse. It's one of my favorites. 
Because I know, and I've been there for friends of mine and people I love in my family. Been, I've been there when they crossed over. And I'll tell you what, John Wesley said once, our people die well. And I know why. Because when they get to the door, Christ is there. They may not, you may not know what's on the other side, but when you know where Jesus is and he's the one you want to be with, that's good stuff, okay? So in these difficulties in life, these hard times that come along, this is what sustains us. This is how we depend upon God. God is something better than this. Now is not later. The suffering I'm going through, the hardship I'm dealing with, it's right now, it's this moment, okay? And God has more for us than this moment. In fact, Paul takes these things in, Matthew, in Romans 5, 3, and he says this about our trouble in life. He says, we can rejoice too. Sometimes Paul uses the word rejoice in the weirdest places, and this is one of them. He says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Yeah, because that's what I always think of when I have problems. Woo-hoo, more taxes due this year. Hallelujah. Yeah. We know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character and char- char- character. I'll get it out eventually. Character, character, character. Strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Think of your trials and difficulties, the suffering you're going through right now, as something that's strengthening your faith, that's preparing you for the next life. What if this life is really just like basic training? What if, you're, what if God's just shaping you for the cool stuff you get to do in the next one? Because I kind of think that's what's going on. Because you are going to be dead so much longer than you're going to be alive here. Right? Eternity's a lot longer than here. Okay, you're going to be alive so much longer there than you are dead here. How's that? Okay? That's one way to look at it. <laughs> and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us, here he goes again, the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. Okay? we got something to look forward to. We're not just stuck here. This life isn't just all that there is. There's, so, there's more coming. And what's coming is better. Because Paul says this in Romans 8, 18. Now listen to this. This is going to make your day. We're going to end this message way up here. You can get excited, or you can sit there and look bored. Whatever you want to do. I don't have a choice, but I might get excited. Yet what we suffer now is nothing. Nothing. It's nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. This is nothing. But you don't know what I'm going through. It's really bad right now. This is nothing. This is only going to last for this lifetime. And depending on how bad it is, maybe it's the end of your lifetime's close. But either way, the trials, the suffering, the things we get to do with Jesus. I mean, think of what Paul's doing. He's writing a letter to these Christians in Rome. Christians in the first century, man, they suffered a lot. They lost property for being Christians. They went to jail for being Christians. They died to be Christians, okay? For Christ, they did all that. And there are Christians all around the world doing that today, okay? How do they do it? What sustains them? Because there isn't a prosperity gospel working for them in some places, okay? It only works in a capitalistic system. It doesn't work in places that are either socialistic or, or communist, okay? And so there, there's these, these folks that are following Christ here on this planet, laying down their lives. What is sustaining them? The joy set before them. They know. Either the Holy Spirit told them they read the Bible themselves or both together and they realized what's coming is way better than this. In fact, what's coming is so good that this actually means nothing. 
Paul, this was a theme in Paul's teaching. He used it in Galatians. He talked about how that he had, no, Philippians, he talked about how he had all these, this, this education and these connections and all these different things. And he says, but when I found Christ, I realized that all that stuff was garbage. And so this life, no matter how bad it is, I mean it, no matter how bad it is, it's nothing. You, you, I don't, you're like, he's going to say something eventually. I've never thought we would keep our religious freedom in this country forever, and I, I, hate to, I don't want to live in fear. I'm not afraid of it, actually. They're already imprisoning pastors for teaching the Bible in Canada, actually. And uh, So, yeah, that's a little terrifying. But when the Bible's the only hope the world actually has, what other book is there to teach? I mean, I, I've read some great books, but, man... The Bible's the only one that's actually life. It's the only one that's actually alive. It's the only one that actually gives any real hope. It's the only one that didn't actually come from the mind of a man. It came from God. So Paul's reminding these people and encouraging these people, what, what if we were in their shoes, what if it cost us our businesses, our jobs, our freedom, our houses, our possessions to follow Christ? What would your faith be like then? Because that's what an unshakable faith is. An unshakable faith is founded regardless of your circumstances. Let me say that again. An unshakable faith is, un, is founded regardless of your circumstances. So you, yes, you may struggle with what God's doing in your life. You may have honest prayer times with God. But in the end, you realize this is God working out his will, his plan, his work in my life or around my life. Taking every bad thing that ever happens to me and making it good, whether it's good or not. That's a, that is a stable faith. I used to think about this all the time. Of course, when I grew up in very fundamentalist churches and they talked about you know, losing freedoms and so forth a lot. So I used to think about this all the time. What, how strong would my faith be if I lost my freedom? If it really cost something to share Christ? And here's, here's my answer, by the way. Your faith is as strong as the grace of God upon your life. Amen. Hear me out. This, is, this will help you. Your faith is as strong as the grace of God upon your life. And what I mean by that is this. Right now, you may be cowardly. You may, not, you may not feel like you have the courage to stand up for your faith. But I want you to understand that when the time comes of the testing, you will have the grace of God to prevail. It will be there. How do I know that? Because there are things in my life that I have faced that I could not have faced without God's grace. And I did not have that grace for that trial until I faced that trial. Do you understand? So you have to trust your Father. No matter what happens, in the moment of fire and testing, Dad will be there, and you're going to be fine. Can you believe that? That's how we live by faith, folks. That's practical faith. So what are we going to do? Well, we need, we need an eager anticipation. Man, I'll tell you what. We can live in a lot more joy and power of God right here on this earth, man, just through Holy Spirit. The average Christian is living so low compared to where we could live with, with God. But even if you were maxed out, man, you were like way up the food chain of faith, that is nothing compared to what's coming on the other side of that tombstone. The day you meet Christ face to face, when you meet life, I mean, it, it's, it's exciting what's going to happen and so compelling. And so we need to have an eager anticipation for getting home. 
We need to look forward. We look forward to the day that God brings us home. Peter wrote it this way. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus from the dead, now we live with great expectation. Great expectation. That should be the word on our faith. We have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay and stock markets and thieves. And, and through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed in the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Have you ever considered that your faith is the most important possession in this life? Have you ever, ever taken a minute to consider that? Have you ever considered that every assault, every circumstance, every bad thing that happens is actually an assault on your faith? Trying to strip that away from you. Have you ever considered that? If you're considering it now for the first time, doesn't it make you a little bit mad? It's like someone's out there intentionally trying to rip your faith away from you. It should upset us. And we have so much to look forward to. Don't lose your faith. God's using the trials in your life to strengthen you. So Paul says, consider it joy. <laughs> I think that's when you know you've arrived. When you, get to, when you get the big problem, and rather than calling up your best friend, oh, man, I got the worst news ever, you call him up and say, hey, I got a big problem today, man. <laughs> Jason, I got a big problem today. What are you going to do about it? I don't know. I haven't even opened it yet. Right now I'm just thanking God for it. I'm like, woohoo! I got a big problem. I haven't even unwrapped it. I don't know. Jason would be like, you know what? I don't have any problems right now. Let me come over and celebrate yours. Wouldn't that be a great place to be in your faith? That's not a hard leap, guys. It's not a hard leap. Once you realize and have the confidence that, that your, your father is bigger than all of your problems, all of them, and that when you get on the other side of your death, that this life is nothing. The bad things that happen, they're not even going to register. You're not, it's not like you're going to be walking around heaven one day, oh, man, you remember that time we were broke? Not going to happen. Kind of hard to whine about being broke when you're walking on streets made out of gold. That's a heck of a paving program. God's using these things to make a positive impact in your life, to make positive impacts and changes in eternity. So trust God. There you go. You want to have an unshakable faith? Trust God. Just be patient. God's going to come through. He's going to reveal his plan. Just confidently wait. Now you're sitting there. Some of you are going, but I've been waiting a while. I hear you. I hear you. God, 
lives in eternity. And his timing is perfect, but he doesn't ever show us his watch or calendar. And so that's when we learn patience. And as we learn patience, our faith roots deeper. And as our faith roots deeper, we become more confident. Because think of all the times he has come through. Oh, my goodness. You know what my favorites are? My favorites are when he comes through before I even knew I needed him to come through. I love those because then I don't have to worry. (laughs) But he likes to teach me patience. So, guys, how's your faith? Have you placed your faith in Christ? Have you realized my way's no good? Only Christ's way. If if you have... If you haven't, then it's time today, to, it's some, as soon as possible, draw that line of your sin and live for Christ and not you. That's what Christianity is. Christianity isn't going to church. Christianity isn't doing religious stuff. It isn't giving money. Christianity is following Christ. It's that simple. So do that. And then you Christians in the room, stop being scared. This is a chance to be patient. It's a chance to wait in confidence. God really does have this. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. That's a good word. I'm glad we have stuff to look forward to. I'm glad that what we have to look forward to is so good that nothing in this life is ever going to compare to it in any way, shape, or form. It's not even going to be memorable when we get to see your face. I I thank you that you're going to wipe our tears. I thank you that you're going to erase the sorrows of this life. But I also thank you that you are so good that nothing compares to you. Give us a hope. Help us to see past our death. Help us to love our family and friends so much that we want them to have that hope too. Thanks for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.